you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We have Chris Pierce on the show today. How's it going, Chris? Great. How are you guys doing? We're staying afloat, man. We're we're kind of we're we're hitting this massive triangle. I'm in Southern California. You're in Hawaii. Adam's in Boston, and we're making it work. We're just making it work. Nice. So, Chris, t- the conversation today is on uh, sales resilience and mental mental performance. I've actually been really excited to have this conversation. We've been uh, talking back and forth for six months or so, trying to line up a time, and ultimately just decided to jump on digitally and get this done because I think the people need to hear. Some of the tools and and tactics that you have for helping people develop resilience and mental strength. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. To get us started, why don't you why don't you give us a a, a brief understanding of your background and where you started studying like mental resilience and strength and how that ultimately led you to your uh, working with military teams. Yeah, so I I studied exercise science went on to get a master's in sports psychology. I had a, a professor who was basically like, if you're gonna learn this stuff, find somebody to help. And so in Southern California, I was living in Huntington Beach. I was like, I wanna work with surfers. Let's go find some. And so I went down to a local contest and just started talking to everybody. And ended up uh, meeting a guy who does a lot of strength and conditioning training with like the most elite surfers in Southern California and would learn one day from school and then apply it the next um, with these surfers. And so I did that for a few years and then just had an opportunity come up to start working with the military. They have quite a robust program for uh, sports psychology, only not working with sports, but working in combat settings. So that took us out to Fort Bragg and North Carolina. I was sad because I was in Hawaii and then had to go out to, to North <laughs> Carolina. But it, it wasn't as bad as I originally thought it was going to be. But out there, I worked with special operations. Uh, I was, you know, Green Berets, both in the schoolhouse working to become a Green Beret as well as, you know, guys running missions. And then there was an opportunity to come back to Hawaii. And so I jumped on it and I've been here for about seven years and have been working with the military up until just this past January, where I committed full-time to helping salesmen. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to dive in and, and kind of hear about some of your correlations. And, you know, the audience today is primarily sales leaders and primarily people that do um, direct sales. Although we have people from all different industries, but really heavy um, sales representation. But just recently, you went from doing, you know, partnership or contracts with the military to standing up your own program and your own like consultation. How did how did that come to be? And, and what are you doing now? Really, it started with a friend visiting Hawaii, who was like a high level in in a sales company. And we just hadn't seen each other for a long time. So we were catching up. And he was basically like, have you taught this to salespeople? Because if you haven't, you should. And so he was like, here, I'll get you some guys. And that was just last summer. And so the first guy that I worked with, he was, he basically went from like 120 to 250, you know, from the previous year. And so after that, it just kind of, I don't know, naturally has grown to where in January it was like, well, I'm, I'm, I've got enough clients to, to actually do this full time. And so said, let's do it. Let's commit. I, I love the advice that your friend gave to like, Hey, if you're going to learn this, you just got to find someone to help. Right. That's, that's actually a really interesting piece of advice. But when you come at it from that angle, you're kind of in it with them. Right. It's like, I'm desperate to help you. Right. And if the person needs help, that's a great way to start out. Well, it was interesting because that, that professor that said it 
this guy is he was like one of the godfathers of applied sports psychology he's like i don't know he's got a little bit of an extreme approach but he's telling us like screw the research just help people like yeah you learn the material but at the end of the day you've got to get people to perform and if you're failing to get people to perform then you're not doing your job you know that's been kind of the theme for everything that i do is you know helping people get results by you know leveraging their mind have you ever heard of the comedian ron white ron white i don't think so no is ron white doesn't he roll with like larry the cable guy yeah they like (laughs) like jeff fox and those guys he has this let's see let's see where this one goes chris Let's you and I see where this so, reference goes from. He walks psychology. into this like, yeah, he walks into this really high-end uh, sunglass shop, and he asks the guy how much the sunglasses are, and the guy's like, "Oh, those are seven hundred dollars." He's like, seven hundred dollars? He's like, "I could buy a, a new TV for this," and and the guy's like, "Well, I I clearly you don't understand the value of these sunglasses." And he's going on and on. He goes, "No, no, no." He goes, "Let me explain something to you." I can buy a TV that sends a signal to outer space and back for 700 bucks or whatever. And I feel like that's kind of what we're doing right now. Like we're doing this thing where where, uh, we're in Hawaii, Boston, and Southern California. It's pretty crazy. Do you, do you do a lot of your consulting online or living out in Hawaii? Obviously you're limited to just that market sort of in person, unless you're traveling back to the mainland, but how, how do you do most of your consultation? Yeah, so I would say 90% of it at the moment is is just over the phone. There's some guys that'll do more of like a face-to-face like this, but a lot of guys, I don't know, they, they just want to get on the phone. And so that's most of it. I do have a few groups out here that I work with that I see like once a week and I'll, you know, go in person and do like a group training. The The goal is to get to, to create an, an online option of group training that various organizations can can hop on people from wherever they're at so that's in the works so i would assume that and obviously i think we'll probably get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more but a lot of our every one of our sales teams has a group of leadership and then there's directors and then there's vps all the leadership we train to call our sales reps you know on a daily basis kind of check in with them see how their day is going i would assume when you first meet someone or first start working with someone there's probably like an assessment where you're just asking lots of questions to to get a feel for their job what they do and probably what makes them tick uh probably the most important one right i had a i had a college football coach who i asked him one time how can he treated like my position coach he would he would treat i noticed he would treat us differently if we screwed up like he would yell at some players. He was really nice to some players, whatever. And he he's like, um, he goes, you just can't treat everybody the same. He goes, because he's like, there's some things you can stay consistent, but he's like, I can yell at you. And I know you'll be just fine. But if I yell at him, he will like clam up and he won't perform anymore. So how much of how, like, what, what are the things that you're asking people in those beginning phases to really help understand like, are they someone who needs a firm hand or are they someone who needs, you know, a carrot or encouragement? Like, how do you go about, you know, finding out all that stuff? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a great question. And I don't have like a set of questions that I'm like, here's an assessment. Let's, let's walk through this. I think it all starts with like, tell me about yourself and tell me why you reached out to me because Everybody that I talk to is because they've come to me. So they've either heard, you know, something like this or they've they have a friend who's worked with me. And so I ask them, "Okay, so why?" And when they answer that question, they typically get to specific reasons or or troubles, you know, that they've had uh on the doors. And so that's really where it starts. And then yeah, I just ask where they want to get to, what's been stopping them, you know, what have they tried, what has worked, what has not. And really it's just it's more of a conversation than here let's answer these questions. 
Chris, one of the things that I found interesting in our in our early conversations is you and I'd written this down, but you had talked about I forget your exact phrasing, but it was something like, you know, I, I give people the tools, right? Like it's less about um, talking them through stuff and more helping them to have permanent tools that they can use in various situations. So I don't want to take all your like your secrets and your tricks of the trade and put them right here on a podcast, but let's do just that for just a second. No, I'm happy Talk to share maybe, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about some of those tools because, you know, a really broad group of people like, you know, you got, okay, green berets, you got surfers that, you know, need to rely on a certain mindset and then you've got direct sellers. Those, those are probably more alike than different from a mental standpoint. So what is it that you see that is, that is stopping people or impeding their performance? And then what are examples of some of the tools that you've given or maybe even tell us through people that you've worked with? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways I could go with that question. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people struggle with their confidence. They, they feel like their confidence is based on the results that they're getting or not getting. And, and so that's a huge problem that stops a lot of people from moving forward, whether it's on the doors, in combat, or if you're an athlete. And so that seems to be a very common concern with people and everything that i do is easy to explain but harder to execute and the reason is that you've been a person for however long and you've done things a certain way and so you've built these habits and tendencies the way that you function and so it's really hard to break those in order to to do things differently you have to guess what do things differently and so if people want like oh here's like i don't know it's like take this pill that all my problems are solved but at the end of the day yeah, it's here's like a simple three-step program or something right yeah and it just doesn't happen like that like it's deliberate intentional effort that's gonna make you know the biggest changes but what does seem to help people specifically with the confidence is giving them specific things to do because confidence on like more of a, a theoretical understanding confidence most people tie to the their results the outcomes that they've gotten where if you're going to be consistently confident then you've got to tie that confidence to what you are doing regardless of what the result is. And so, so your input, like I said, well, really your outputs. So like, what am I going to do? What are the things? So I don't know, use an example of somebody on the doors. They've got this input and output, this experience between them and another person that they've got to connect with in order to, to make the deal with them. However, if you're trying to focus on interpreting what they're saying or you're focused on just trying to get the sell, then the expectation is that you're not focused on the words that are coming out of your mouth. And so like I was talking to a guy just yesterday who uh, you know, was trying to make this shift from like, okay, so if I you know, get rejected 20 times, then... I really go downhill and it becomes a really big struggle. And so he needed something specific to focus on. And so with him, it was just a matter of shifting focus from like just trying to get the sale to focus on what he was going to do. So the specifics of what he was going to say and when they give a smoke screen, what he was going to say again. And then his results or his confidence was based on, did I say what I had planned to say or did I fail to do that? And then all of a sudden he's winning all of these doors, right? Whether he sold them or not, he's winning every door because he gave the pitch that he expected to give and he, he gave the responses to their, you know, to their objections accurately. He ended up texting me was like, yeah, I got four, you know, before lunchtime. Okay. From just that small tweak of what yeah. he was focused on. Yeah. So you basically go from saying success is a sale to 
success is being able to convey this point, or maybe even success is knocking 15 doors, not getting two sales. Is that the right mentality? Yeah. And, and I think it really depends on what that person's focused on because that's one guy somebody else might be really good at that but they struggle with like the effort level right so so they're really good at the sales and they're really good at connecting with people and focused on you know what they're going to do so they have that high confidence but maybe their problem is they get tired and they want to quit and so it really depends on the person because everybody's got kind of their like one thing that they really struggle with. And so it's just a matter of finding out what that is and then coming up with a specific plan and strategy for addressing, you know, that, that specific problem. We have sales reps of all walks of life, you know, and some are as old as 67 years old and some are as young as 18. But I think, and Ty, maybe I'm wrong, but I would say the large majority are like 25 to 35. Would you say that's like the large majority of the workforce? Yeah, but I think it's trending up, don't you? Like, I think we're starting to get a more mature sales force yeah. as the opportunity has increased. Yeah. So it's kind of two parts to this then. So a lot of these guys, like, I mean, it's high commissions. There's nothing stopping them from going and working. And yet, and some of these guys will even be in debt. They'll have a hard time paying their bills. And yet they, they won't go work. And I think a lot of it is like the anxiety of fear of failure or that there's this element of like self-sabotage happening. Um, like how do you work through that mental hurdle as a, you know, as a coach. I, I like to think about kind of like in fifth grade, you learn the scientific method, right? And in the scientific method, they talk about how you only want to change one variable at a time so that you understand like where the results are coming from, right? Whereas if you make a lot of changes, then you're not sure which of those changes was leading to the result. And so I always start with like, what is one thing that you can work on that's going to make the biggest impact with the least amount of effort? And so that's always the starting point is like, okay, what's one thing that you can actually execute? Because I don't know, you, you see a lot of people like they'll, they'll speak and give this like big program or something and there's just so much to it that people end up not doing any of it or maybe hopefully they'll at least pick out like one piece that's actually like you know that they're going to hold on to and apply so i i think that the the biggest thing is find that one thing that's going to get the biggest impact with the least amount of effort why do you think people don't work harder though I, I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I think that there's there's life stuff and people come up with excuses. It's easy to to say like, oh, well, my kid has whatever and, and just come up with reasons why other things take priority. But I also think a big thing that gets in people's way is not having specific things that they've got to do. Like, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do these few things. And then I'm going to be on the doors at this time and then setting yourself up with like somebody who's going to help keep you accountable. Like, I think there are a lot of different things that you can do to help people do that. But at the end of the day, I think there's a million reasons. And I, I feel like that's kind of a cop out answer. Like, like, well, it depends. And I, I hate giving that answer from what I've seen. There is like procrastination that comes from fear you know, fear of success as well as fear of failure. There's also the the discomfort that comes with doing hard things. People don't like to be uncomfortable. And so they prolong their comfort, like the time that they're comfortable. A lot of times that ends up being way more time than it should be. Um, and so like if, if I'm working with somebody who struggles with like contact hesitation, just the process of actually knocking the first door, then really it's just a matter of giving them very specific things. Like you're going to be on the doors at this 
time? And then what what stops you from getting there? And then creating a plan for each of those things. So maybe it's setting their clothes out the night before, you know, like charging their phone and just doing all these simple things the night before so that they're ready to go and setting themselves up for success. Just kind of last thing on this tie, if that's okay. I think we just have so many guys that are really talented and, and actually good at sales. And usually from my experience, when I see someone that's not doing well, it's either a work ethic issue or a competency issue. And most of the time it's a work ethic issue. And so I'm just trying to figure out like, how do I, how do you talk to someone and cause and people just like, if they don't want to do it, they're just not going to do it. So it's like, how do you figure out how to work through the work ethic issue? Like, how do you get them to work harder? You know? And it's like, and I think, I mean, I think all of us have struggled with it at different times. Like I'm not sitting here casting stones and act like I have this relentless work ethic 24 hours a day, every single day of the year. But I think in general, our successful reps just work harder than the other sales reps. And there's so many guys and girls that I'm like, you could be amazing. And like, I know you need the money, like go work, you know, like, how do you get them to do that? So I have a process that I walk through helping people find, right? There's a big buzzword of find your why right now. And I think that there's a few different aspects that I always talk about with it. Like I call it reasons. You have to have a reason to get out and do the work. If you don't have a reason, then what's the point? And then you have people not doing it. You know, they stay home and they play video games or find any excuse to do anything else other than what they should be doing. And so your reasons include your why, but one of the big things, it's, it's a very simple exercise that you can do is ask what's important about selling, right? And they might say, well, to make money. Okay, well, then what's important about making money? Well, I got to, you know, pay my bills. What's important about paying your bills, right? Well, then I'll lose the stuff that's important to me, right? And so you keep going through this process, asking the same question, what's important about these specific things? And what you'll find is, it gives you one kind of that core reason why you're doing things, right? Your, your core why, the, the deep-seated thing, right? And that can be helpful to bring it to light because when that's on the forefront of your mind, then you're much more likely to get out and do hard things, much more likely to work. The other thing is, like I'm sure that you've heard dig deep, like it's talked about in sports, like, oh, you got to, when it really gets tough, you got to dig deep, right? And that's, that saying is about connecting to those deep core reasons why you're doing things. But there's also this thing that happens where sometimes it doesn't matter. Like the most important things to you are not what's going to get you to work. And so instead of digging deep, sometimes you need to dig in a different spot. And so you need to, you know, find, I don't know, move your excavator and like start digging somewhere else. Or maybe you just need a shovel and it's not actually that deep. When I was, I was training guys to go through ranger school and getting ready for that. And we would go through this process. The guy who was actually the leader at the time, he was telling me that the reason he went to ranger school was because his grandpa was a ranger. And his grandpa was his biggest hero. He wanted to be more like his grandpa than anyone else. And he said he got like 40 days in and it's just like miserable. And he's like, Grandpa, you, you are better. Like, I can't do this. Like, I'm going to give up, you know. And his, his deep why wasn't enough. And then he, he remembered that his, his brother said he would give him his truck if he if he made it through now let me tell you a little about this truck i think he went through in like i don't know 2008 maybe and his brother had a 1999 chevy s10 it's like the worst truck yeah. ever like <laughs> like it's like, a like small not mini truck yeah it's like this mini truck but and it's it an not S10 nice extreme, though was it an extreme because those had the ground effects on it and the little, i you know i don't I mean? know like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it was, 
like the way he talks about it, he's like it's this crappy truck with like 200,000 miles like a piece of junk but yet wanting that truck all of a sudden that was enough to get him through the next day and so i i just share that story as an example of like you have to have deep you know these core reasons but then you also have to have little reasons like you've got to have like that's why incentives are so big uh in this industry is because sometimes you know winning an apple watch is more important than any of the the core reasons why you're actually doing it uh, i totally agree with that i totally agree like we see people all the time that it's like i'm out my why is my daughter and i love her more than mm -hmm. anything in the world but at 3.30, it doesn't change your behavior when you got to pee. And instead of like, you know, getting into somebody's house, you drive to the gas station, then you check your email and then you take an extra hour. Like, yeah, you love your daughter and you want it to work, but it doesn't change your behavior in the moment. And so I agree, like oftentimes you need little things. Like I've, I've wondered before if, if, you know, in my younger years, if I would have performed better for a $100,000 paycheck or a truck with dirt bikes in the back, with a snowmobile attached to it and a trailer like you can just have this if you sell 200 like oh, i'll get that you know what i mean like yeah have you read I'm, I'm sure you're familiar have you read daniel pink's stuff on motivation and and why people like you know he wrote drive like why people do what they do yeah yeah so i've so read drive and some... I, I know he's got other stuff too that i haven't read yeah so what are some of the tips on incentives that work like what what are better what are i guess incentives that don't work or or better examples of ones that guys can use to help their reps connect with this that we're talking about so i don't know that there's specific things that work and things that don't work i think that be a scientist and try different things but i also think variety is the spice of life right and so if you're if it's like the incentives are always just kind of the same thing then people are like, I've yeah. got the Apple Watch, I got the AirPods, I got the shoes. I got the like, shoes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, cool. Like, think outside the box. What's ask them? Like, let them decide, you know? Like, they'll tell you. But I think mix it up, you know? And the, the more that you mix it up, I think the better success you'll have where it's like, oh, this is an incentive I haven't seen before. Yeah, it's good. When, uh, we had an opportunity once one of the incentives that we had earned is our, our group went through a seal fit exercise where we basically got beat up by the Navy nice. seals for <laughs> a bunch of hours. And one of the things that they gave us was they're like, Hey, you guys could come down to Coronado anytime and you can tour the seal facility. We thought that was really cool. So we use that for an incentive for, you know, whoever's the top performer can come and have this unique experience. I have pictures from that day. We showed up on a Friday, like at like five and it was just as a hell week was ending. So it's like a really interesting time to be on Coronado because when we stepped onto the grinder, you know, the place where the, that asphalt place where they pretty much just put people through like rigorous yeah. personal, like just push-ups and logs and all that kind of stuff. But you know, the, the, the thing that you'll see in like the shows where when they want to quit, they'll take their helmet off, they'll go over, ring the bell, and then they'll put their helmet in the line. But when we got there, all the helmets were lined up. So we have, I have this picture of like 80 helmets from like a team of like 130 people or something that came through and did it. And the thing that stood out to me with regard to mentality, and I'm interested in your take on this from working with military teams, is they used to say, or they said that they used to ring the bell, put down the helmet and then get out of here. But they had such a high amount of people that wanted to be SEALs that didn't make it, that would go home and kill themselves, that now the process is you ring the bell and a psychiatrist comes out and they check you over. You walk straight into there and they kind of give you an assessment and see how you're doing mentally, give them the tools they need and then help them cope with it. Is, did you see, what kind of problems did people that were, were, what kind of mental problems did people that were coming in to try to be the most elite level of soldier, what are they dealing with? What's their motivation? Yeah, I, I think they have a lot of different things. Like the one that I shared with, you know, going through ranger school where it's like, I've got to be like my grandpa. Some of it's like a brotherhood, you know, it's like my team wants this for me. You know, it's like you've seen other people. An interesting thing, and I, I believe this happens with 
the Green Berets, with the Rangers, with the Seals, like all of those elite level schools that people that have like a really high failure rate, very few people quit in the middle of like an exercise. Like you don't see guys like, you know, get up out of the water and walk up and ring the bell. They finish, you know, they, they don't throw the log on the ground and be like, screw it, I'm done. It's when they're back at their house, right? Or not their house, but in their bunks, they're sitting back and they're, they're thinking. And so their thoughts take over and they go to this place of fear or of, I don't know, self-doubt. And they take themselves to a place where they, they take themselves out of the game. That actually blows my mind. I just had an epiphany. We don't ever, we don't ever have people, I mean, very rarely do we have people quit this job at night or in the middle of the workday, huh, Adam? Like generally what happens is they, can I meet with you in the morning? Or they come in and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm out. I can't do it again. And this is the first time I've actually thought about that, but nobody like calls you at six and like, I'm done. Not one more door, not one more. Did they have that moment the night before and they just didn't call you? You know what I mean? Like, did they, did they walk out of the field at 6.30 after a tour and they're like, I'll talk to them tomorrow, you know? <laughs> or or the actual... did, did the story change? Yeah, overnight. And did they get into their head and make mm -hmm. decisions on what the job is? I think regardless of whether it was like on the doors, you know, like I'm finished or at night, I think one of the biggest things when you're working with the with like anybody, any of the soldiers like going through these crazy courses is they have to have something specific to do, right? Like when you don't have something specific to do with your thoughts, then who knows where your thoughts are going to be. And so like with guys on the door, they need to have some way to either reflect on the day or like people do affirmations in the morning, right? To set themselves up. Most people are pretty good in the morning. Most people struggle at night after they're exhausted. And so if you give them a specific, even if it is something as simple as like going through mantras or affirmations or something like that, but they're doing it at the end of the day, then when they go to bed or they have all that time to just like chill and, and kind of think and digest all, all that they've experienced, then they're going to have more of like a positive response and the likelihood of them quitting goes down significantly. Right. And so like with these guys at Ranger school, it's like, okay, so how are you going to end every single day of Ranger school? Maybe it's saying the Ranger creed to yourself. Maybe they come up with their own mantra, their own kind of philosophy of who they are. You know, there's, there's a lot of different options there, but you have to have something that you do at the end of each day to avoid those times of wanting to give up. Do you have roosters outside your house right now? I do. Can you hear this? That's why. Where are you on a farm? <laughs> it's I, I'm up in Puma Kids, like uh, I'm up on the North Shore, but kind of up in the mountains. Man, and there's just these winning. wild roosters. <laughs> They're not I even ours. They're just wild. That's crazy. Adam has alpacas yeah. on his property. You've got roosters. Whoa! I've got like I've got like concrete. Well, these roosters <laughs> do not wait for the sun to uh, to start crowing. They it's like four and they're awake and want the whole world to be awake so they're not that awesome all the time yeah we have uh, <laughs> I, live next to a horse. I live next to a horse farm and they have alpacas and i didn't know this but farms will get alpacas or llamas to keep the coyotes and fox away so i didn't know that was the thing. There's yeah a, there's me neither yeah. so what yeah. i'm hearing from you as far as um, sort of overcoming that like anxiety is almost creating personal systems, like putting out your clothes at night, like, you know, having a mantra that you say at night before you go to bed. And uh, I think a lot of our top performers do have that. They have those personal systems in place and maybe even subconsciously they're putting them there 
in place because they know themselves well enough to know if they if they don't do that then they'll fall back into a bad habit man this job this job it's straight commission i mean i i don't want to speak for ty but i think so the majority of what makes people good at this job is is what goes on between the ears every day and especially between doors like they knock the door they stand there for a minute two minutes no one answers and then they kind of like, you know, walk to the next door. And I think things like the tempo in which they not, the, the tempo in which they walk, how long they stand on a door, like all those things factor into someone putting in a full day or a half day because they, they just spend so much time in their own head that they like talk themselves out of it, you know? So, and then there's a lot of people, and I've been guilty of this too in, over the years, you pull into a neighborhood and you sit in your car for an hour because you just like can't force yourself to get out of the car some days. And so I'm really interested to like hear your thoughts of like how to, how to stay almost out of your head between doors, how to get out of your car when you first pull into a neighborhood, like all those little mental battles that sales reps fight all day long. Like how do you, how do you, you know, coach through that? So let's start with the the car one because this is a common <laughs> conversation. That All right, guys, people. we're talking about the car. Tune in, turn it up. <laughs> we're doing it. Okay, so I've talked about having specific things to do a lot, right? So, but one of the things that seems to be more helpful than others is so one, you have a plan, but you kind of gamify it, right? So, like I was talking to a guy, it was like, okay, this is what you're gonna do when you're pulling into your your area you're going to already have your timer pulled out on your phone right you're going to have it in your hand and you're going to set that timer and as soon as you turn the car off you're going to get out and you're going to run like however far you need to so you know it might be like 10 steps you might need to go like all the way down the block but you're gonna set a timer and see how fast you can get out of the car. And then you're gonna, you're gonna remember that or record it. And then tomorrow, when you get there, you're like, I'm gonna beat that time, right? And you're, you're just gonna gamify, then you're gonna win, right? And so it's, it's not so much a matter of like, like, oh, I need to have this like special moment or like I need to meditate or anything like that. It's like, hey, when I get to my area, I'm going to time how fast I can get out of the car and I'm just going to like slam the door, run away. If your car is a beeper, like don't even lock it, just run and beep the thing. Same thing with brakes. Like I need some water. You've got water in the car. All right. I'm going to like take my stance. And bark, set, go, Woo-hoo! grab my water, Woo! slam the door, run away. Like, and I, and I get that not everybody's going to do that, but you have to have a plan. Like you have to have something specific to do. And if it's kind of fun, then you're much more likely to do it. I always recommend just getting a, a good peppy song in your head to just hum the whole day, basically. So it's like your brain can't think about two different things, like just literally sing a song out loud between doors and it just like blocks out all the other noise. I mean, if there's going to be two things that you do to get significant results, one is like we were talking about with the confidence being based on what you do rather than the results. The second is resetting, like your ability to reset every, after every door. If you think about how an athlete works, like a baseball player, a batter is one of the easiest examples of this, right? Pitcher throws it, it's a ball or a strike, right? They step out of the box, right? What do they do when they step out of the box? Some guys, who knows, they, they probably don't have a plan. Other people who, who are probably at more of an elite level, they have a strategy. They say something specific to themselves. A lot of times you'll see they get their, their batting gloves, they'll undo it as a way to like, okay, that's in the past. And then they'll reset it. Like I'm ready to go. Let's do it. And they step in the box. Right. And then they're much more likely 
to hit the ball at the next pitch. And so I think for, for a door-to-door salesperson, it's the same process, regardless of what just happened. You have to go through some sort of process to reset yourself so that you can hit the next door, so that you can sell the next door, hit the next ball. And you're going to be a lot more likely to sell that house if, if you go through some sort of process, you know, even if it is as simple as singing a song. You're making me feel, Chris, like I'm not crazy. And I appreciate that from you because <laughs> like, it, it's, it's, it's like, we call it a hustle muscle. It takes a second to build it up, right? Like if, if you've never knocked doors before, throwing you into an eight hour day is like throwing somebody that's not in shape just into the gym and say, work out for three hours. Like it takes a second to build that up. But I literally have, you know, if you've heard like Brian Tracy's The Psychology of Selling, it's like, I can't tell you how many times I've personally and out loud said to myself, I like myself, I like my job. And it's like, man, I'm such a dork out here, but, but I need it sometimes, you know? And so I like this idea of mantras. I don't know if you have one, Adam, but I have two that I constantly say to myself. And it's, I didn't know the thing about the baseball players, like resetting like the gloves and like, but it's such like a great idea. But one of the things that, that I'll say to myself is still got time. Cause I noticed that not having time freaks me out more than any other thing. Like guys get to a point where they're like, man, it's seven 15. I don't have a sale yet. And they get in this like scarcity, like mentality instead of this, I got time. I still got time. There's lots of time. Right. The other thing that I, that I constantly say to myself, and this just works for me. I don't know if it works for listeners, but I just tell myself selling's easy. Selling's easy. It's actually easy. All you got to do is tell people what you have. You tell enough people and somebody will do it. Like it's actually easy. It's all the other, it's all the other stuff. You got any, Adam, you got any? Well, I've been singing, um, Gwen Stefani <laughs> bananas for 17 years between. <laughs> so, um, oh, I mean, I don't know if that helps, but, uh, I mean, yeah, you'll see. And it's out loud, man. You got to sing out loud. Better. You see this big old guy and he's just like B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta sing it. Uh, you gotta kinda move with it too or else it doesn't work. Yeah. But um, That's right. Yeah. It's and not gonna then, work I, if you're stationary. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll, I mean, I always, I always will just be, I, I'm a firm believer that like one door changes your entire day and you could be having the worst day ever. And if you sell a door at nine o'clock at night, you're walking back to your car being like, man, today was sick. Like hard all day and I got sale at the end of the day like you'll just like and that's so I always just tell myself it's just one door all I need is one good door and today is going to be awesome so like I kind of just always tell myself that and then like I said I've been seeing uh, bananas since 03. (laughs) (laughs) Okay you know what I love about that is okay you you with whatever your strategy is it has to fulfill a purpose Right. And so if you know what that purpose is, then it can help you identify what's going to work best for you. So like back in high school, before I even learned any of this, I was a swimmer. Right. So before right before I'm about to swim, I would sing. I don't know. Maybe it's called cold as ice. It's like she's as cold as ice. Do, do, do. Will it sacrifice? And I would sing it out loud like I would hold on to like the fence looking off into nothing. But what it did for me was it made me relax. It made me like kind of hype myself up with energy, but it also made me not take myself too seriously. And so for you, I imagine the banana song probably has a similar kind of, you have a similar experience when you go through that song. And so I would say anybody listening to this, like whether it's a mantra, whether it's an affirmation, a song, what's its purpose? And is it fulfilling that purpose is really like the important question to ask, you know? And if it's like Eminem's, like, what's that? Like one chance or one shot song, (laughs) like, you know, that's more of like an angry, like, Ooh, yeah, I better get after it. If it fulfills its purpose, then awesome. If it's bananas, if it fulfills the purpose, awesome. The, The reason that I like that one and it actually you're dead on because I'm a firm believer that people are attracted to just like good energy and like good vibes with door-to-door sales. Like you knock on someone's door and you're just like mean, like you're just have this countenance that like you're not in a great mood. 
like people don't want to talk to you, you know? So yeah. I'm like, I want people to open their door and just have this, like, what is going on with this guy? Like, there's just something about him that I like and I want that good energy. And so I, when I heard that song, whatever, I, I don't think I like consciously started, like made a decision to start singing it. I was just like singing it one day and then like sold like three or four. Dude, and I was, so like, much more oh. about you makes sense now. Now that I know yeah, that in I'm your like, world, that's done. the soundtrack. Yeah. So much more makes sense. Yeah. And then done. And then it's just, but then the thing is like everyone you meet, like you want them to just be like, man, like this guy's just a happy, good energy person. And that you want to be someone people enjoy talking to. Right. So, for yeah. me, like that was kind of the purpose of that song is uh, just gets me a good, a, a good vibe. Chris, I have a question for you. More of a yeah. game. You surf, right? I do. We tried to line up a time to catch waves last time I was working in Hawaii and I was work guy. So I'm <laughs> regretful, but next time I'm out there, we'll next catch time. Some. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, I, I believe that surfing is the hardest sport in the world. And I've thought about it a lot. I think golf is probably the closest, but the floor doesn't move when you golf, right? So you have to catch the green, right? Um, so why is surfing like selling? You think about it for a second, but give me, this is how I learned. So why is surfing? What are the comparisons between surfing and selling? You've coached on both. Well, I think that surfing is hard because like you said, both the, the person is moving the equipment is moving and the field is moving. And I think that the same thing could be said with sales. I think the, the person is moving, right? Like you're not the same person that you were even like the last door. It's a new door, right? Just like it would be a new wave. And there's a million different options as far as like what I would consider equipment, as far as like the techniques, the strategies that you're gonna apply to each of those people. And so like surfing, if if you're riding big waves and you're gonna be on a big gun, if you're on little tiny waves, you're on big log. If you're a performance surfer, who knows, you're on like a, I don't know, I ride a five nine, you know? And so I think it you have to adjust based on the waves that are given to you. But also I think another thing is, if you were to count the time that you spend surfing versus in the water. Like, I don't know, like I have this thing on my watch where it, it, it tracks like the waves that I catch. And so and it's kind of cool. It'll, you use Dawn Patrol? Yeah, yeah, I use Dawn yeah, Patrol. And so I'm out there surfing for, you know, an hour and a half and I look at my watch and it says that I've ridden waves for like two minutes, right? And I think that's also very similar with sales People hate surfing the first time they do it because they're like five seconds of their two hour session was actually spent surfing and the rest was just struggling. And so I imagine that on the doors, it's very similar that the vast majority of the time is paddling, it's walking, it's moving, it's, you know, talking to people, right? Like duck diving. And it's, I mean, I think it's a very, very similar <laughs> comparison that there's a lot of different aspects. Yeah, you'll have sales reps that come home frustrated and you're like, well, how many doors did you knock? Well, I knocked a couple dozen doors. I'm like, well, how many people did you talk to? And they're like, well, I talked to five. And then I'm like, okay, out of those five people, how many were actually homeowners that could make a decision? Right? Or like three of them. And you're like, all right, so... You were out for four hours, you talked to three people that could make a decision, you didn't sell any of them, and you're, you're acting like you just had the worst day ever. Like, we need to figure out how to get you talking to more people, for one, during a day. Like, what are you doing all between doors? Like, you know, and, and you can kind of work through that, but yeah, so I mean, is that is that kind of what, it's the same principle, right? Like, you're out in the ocean for two hours, but you're on the waves for only two minutes. So, how do you kind of work through increasing the time that you're on the waves versus the time that you're in the water. And say, I mean, I guess if you're relaying it to the doors, like how do you, how do you, is that, is that a physical thing? Is that a mental thing? Like, well, so I think there's two things to address there. One, like if you talk about competitive surfing, where it's like, there's something on the line, which is a lot more like sales where there is something on the line. A lot of heats are won and lost, not on the waves, but between waves. And so I think it's important 
to like we've already been talking about having that reset or taking advantage of the process you know that happens while you're not on the doors right just like the surfer has to take advantage of the time when they're not on the waves to to make the most of it but then the other thing is how do you get more waves right I think some of that comes down to just like having a going back to having a plan. Like, are you running? Are you are you a Segway rider? Like what what is it that you do in between doors to make sure that you you hit more doors? There is time both as like your speed in between doors as well as time, like when you start and when you stop. And so those really are the biggest factors that play into how many people that you're going to talk to, but those are always going to be influenced by what's going on up here. One of the reasons I believe that it's important to be a novice at something is because I'm a much better salesperson than I am surfer. But what happens to my brain is exactly the same. And I feel like when you're a novice at something, you learn things about yourself. It's like when you learn a different language, English makes more sense, you know? For anybody that's listening that feels frustrated knocking doors, and if you're listening and you don't feel frustrated knocking doors, you're probably not knocking enough doors, right? Because the you said a lot of times beginners don't have fun surfing. A lot of times I'll come back from surfing after, you know, I'm hundreds of sessions into whatever, and my wife's like, how was surfing? I was like, I don't know why I do this to myself. It's freaking, it was terrible. The people in the water were terrible. This brand new surfboard I bought sucks. It was cold. I got up early and I didn't even freaking catch one or whatever, right? But what happens to your brain is the same. Like you get out there and you're full of ambition and you're like, I'm going to surf. This is great. I'm out here. I got up early. I did it. I'm in the water. Like I'm here, right? And then something will happen. Maybe it's a conversation with somebody in the water. Maybe you miss a wave. Maybe somebody burns you. And your reaction is that of frustration, which always happens on the doors. You get to the neighborhood and you're like, okay, I'm here. I got my first win, victory. I'm in the neighborhood. And I go up and knock and maybe something happens where the first guy you talk to is bad or you get a cancel or something like that. What happens after that is like a slow unraveling if you're not careful. And this is going to be a really long question, but I want your answer at the end of it. So what happens to my brain, at least, if I'm just being honest, is I'll go out to surf and I'm like, okay, I have a coach. I've spent money. I'm ambitious. I got other things that I could be doing. I got tons of kids at home. Like I've made a choice to be out there. So it's a victory to get in the water. And then I'll start to unravel to the point where if I'm 30 minutes in and I haven't got a good wave, you mentioned you're a different person than the door before. I'm like zero fun to hang out with if it's been 40 minutes and I don't have at least two good waves. And you know that feeling, right? And so then what'll often happen is you start to make really impulsive, weird decisions. You start to paddle for waves that aren't gonna stand up. You start to take late drops and then you crash and then you're extra pissed. And a lot of times I'll hear it when I'm in the water, I'll hear like full grown men that are going to their jobs after this, screaming the F word in the water because they're so frustrated. And Adam, you see it on the golf course too. It's the same exact thing. It's like Dr. McClellan over there is losing his mind in front of everybody with his little stick in his hand, right? But that happens so fast on doors. And that's something that our community really understands is it's really easy to say, calm down, relax, say your mantra, those people often don't know what it's like to be so frustrated that I could tear a door off the hinges. You know what I mean? I could rip a tree out of the ground. I'm so I'm trying so hard, you know? So what are some techniques that you can use to get back in the water? What I'll do sometimes is I'll just feel my hands and I'll feel my feet and I'll breathe and I'll say, I still got time. I can do this. I got 15 minutes. One wave fixes everything, right? And you can get back there and then all of a sudden your response is right and, and you, 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 you make the micro movements that are accurate and you stop self-sabotaging. So what are some tricks people can use to get back? Okay, I have two, two things, two different directions that I want to go with this. I think the first one is going to be the most effective and it's simply pay attention and check in with yourself in the process so that you don't like if you allow yourself to get so uh, like turn into the hulk then it's really hard like like i don't know you watch the marvel movies and it's really hard for the hulk to turn back into banner right yeah same thing is true when you allow yourself to get to such an extreme point it's going to take so much deliberate effort to come back to not even bruce banner but just like mellow hulk 
enough to the to then go knock on another door that it's just going to be really really hard to do and so my first thought is stop yourself from getting there in the first place and you know going back to what what i was first saying where confidence is built attention also influences like what you're doing and so if you are focused on the efforts that you're gonna give and the specific strategies that you're gonna implement regardless of what the results are, then that's one thing that you can do to help keep keep yourself from getting to that extreme level. Another is what we already talked about is resetting. Being able to like pause between each door. If things are going good and you got good momentum, don't fix what's not broken, but then your question was really like, okay, let's say that you do turn into the Hulk. You've you know lost lost it. Um, you're not in a position to sell. The first thing I would do is stop. Just stop. Stop what you're doing. Don't go to your car. Don't make any rash decisions. Just like just like an Army Ranger, or Navy SEAL. Stop what you're doing, and just pay attention. What are the Hulk thoughts that are happening right now? Is it, I hate this job and this sucks and everybody's awful? I don't know. You probably don't even know. But just stop and listen to yourself. There's a voice in your head that's talking. It's saying stuff. Listen to it. Don't try to downplay it. Don't try to make it go away. Hear it out and just listen to it. And as you do that, a few things will happen. One, the likelihood of you really believing that is gonna go down because you're like, man, this guy's crazy. Like, what am I even thinking, right? You might not, but for most people, when they just kind of check in and listen to that voice, all of a sudden they make this shift where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm acting like a crazy person right now, okay? So the first step, stop and pay attention. The second thing I would say is know that this is going to happen before it happens. Like, you know, if you're the type of person that has these freak out moments and have a plan for it, I'm going to grab some water. I'm going to take a drink. Like I'm going to cool myself down. Like that might even be enough. And then I'm going to go knock the next door. If it's really a struggle, then maybe you need more steps, right? So you stop, you pay attention. You're like, okay, I'm acting crazy. I'm going to drink some water. And then I'm going to go back to like, I mean, gratitude. I, I, I hate to say this. Like there's been really interesting research. Gratitude is stronger than any other emotion to decrease anxiety. And oftentimes frustration leads to anxiety. And so if you can experience some form of gratitude, whether it's by you know, thinking of things related to the job or other aspects of your life, that will help to decrease the, the anxiety better than any other, anything else. I'd also say do something physical. Smile. Smiling is a really interesting thing that I could talk about for hours because it's connected to the vagus nerve, which actually sends signals from your body to your brain telling it to chill out and to calm down. That's why it's hard to, to smile and still be upset. There's actual physiological process that happens. You also you mentioned have a lot breathing. Of really angry people smiling, just terrifying the neighbors. They're like, Are you right? You're like, oh, oh, oh. Are you the whole oh, yeah. Well, you do this between doors. Well, okay, so on top of smiling, okay, if we're going to talk about the vagus nerve, the vagus nerve is this awesome thing that makes it when your thoughts aren't helping you, your body can help you. So you mentioned breathing. There's a specific way of breathing and there's a reason why it's helpful. And it's not about oxygen flow or anything like that. It's this really cool thing. So there's this reflex called the herring brewer reflex. I guarantee you everyone has experienced it if you're alive. And it's simply the urge to exhale. For some reason, when you like expand that time, it activates the vagus nerve. So your body is telling your brain to, to calm down. And so the way that you do this is simply like, take a deep breath. And then you'll start to feel where your body, like the muscles start to tighten 
and they want to, to exhale, that's actually going to send signals to your brain to calm down. It's a really simple thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to hold my breath. And it's not like you're holding it for a long time, just a few seconds. And then you experience the, the desire to exhale, take a slow exhale, and then do it again. And just do it like two or three times. It's not like, oh, I need to meditate and uh, get my thoughts right. It's not even about that. It's about imagine if you had these like buttons in your body that could tell yourself to like calm down. That's what you're pressing. And it's actually like a like it's pressure sensors, like the actual physiology of it in your body is almost like a button. Uh, so it's really this amazing thing that. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. I, I had, uh, you know, I think it's important to have those things. You mentioned something that, that I've believed for a long time where you said, you know, just be aware that that's going to happen. Don't be surprised by it. One of the things we tell reps is I'm not telling you to beware of it. I'm telling you to be aware of it. It will happen, right? Don't, yeah. don't avoid it. It's going to happen. Recognize it. I had a lady, I remember this, I was knocking doors in Virginia in like 2006. And I, it must have been one of those moments. I don't remember the day, but I remember this conversation. I remember the door. I remember like what the lady looked like. And I, you know, in my head, I was being a resilient sales guy and I was having a hard day, but I was keeping working. I didn't do any kind of reset, you know, I'm realizing now. And I knocked the door and right before I went into my pitch, she spoke. She spoke before I did. And her first words, dude, her first words were, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> it caught me so off guard because I thought I was fooling everybody, right? And, but I mean, who knows? It's kind of still random to get a knock on the door and she came and she saw me and whatever she saw signaled to her like, is everything all right? Are you okay? And I was like, oh man, I suck at this. <laughs> yes, I'm good. I'm sorry. Hello, I'm Ty. Nice to meet you. Hi. You know, like, but you know, it's bad if the homeowner comes to the door and the first thing they say is, are you all right? Like... No, no, I'm not. I'm really not, you know? <laughs> well, the job, the job's hard. And I was going to say, you know, if I don't go into Hulk mode, I just start sobbing. And then when I'm trying to sing the song and I'm sobbing, it's just miserable, you know? It's a cycle. And you're just choking on your tongue. Bananas. <laughs> choking. <laughs> choking. <laughs> so I have little girls. I have three little girls. And I've been doing this with them forever. I, I drop them off at school in the morning and we do this thing called the 10 second power smile. And I make them like smile as hard as they possibly can for 10 seconds. And then I make them scrunch their face as tight as they can for 10 seconds and then smile again for 10. And then we all look at each other. We do silly faces for 10 seconds. And then I'm like, all right, get out of here whatever. But it's like every single time, like they leave the car just like happy they're like excited for school, right? So, and then it's like, you can just start doing those things when you're driving into the area, like just force yourself to do like those silly little things and they work, right? And like you said, it's impossible to be in a bad mood if you smile as hard as you can for 10 seconds even, like 10 seconds, you can change your entire yeah. countenance before you get out of your car. Right. So that's well, pretty cool. The awesome thing is, I, I love that you're doing that with your daughters, right? Because, and a lot of people think like, oh, well, it gets you thinking in a certain way. But the reality is, yes, it does, but it also activates your body to, to be in this like readiness state. And so I think that's, that's huge advice. Like prepare yourself on the doors or before the doors, like while you're driving to the area, because that's, that's going to make a huge impact. I love the practical like things you call them tools, right? Like I love the tools or strategies, right? That people can use. I call them tools they, and skills because, because it's both a tool, just like a tool, like, like people building a house, like you can have all the tools in the world, but if you don't know how to use them, then you're not going to actually build a house as well. And so yeah. it's, it's like, yes, it's a tool, but you got to get good at using it. Like you have to practice, you have to like change the way that you function, the way that you do things. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, thank you for sharing some of these with us, man. You've been, you've been really fun to talk to. It's very applicable for guys seeking your coaching and services. How do they, how do they find you? So two best ways, like you can follow me on Instagram. My, my handle is just sales resilience shoot me a DM. It's not like I don't have somebody else monitoring it. It's just, it, I will respond. 
But also my cell phone number, 808-347-1248. Shoot me a text. Let me know like, you know, what you got going on. We'll set up a call and, and just start talking. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, for anybody that's that's looking for, uh, you know, more tips on how to use this, I'm a big fan of coaching. I think it's I think it's one of the most valuable things that people can invest in is having a coach see something that they don't necessarily see or especially not see in the moment. So thank you so yeah. much, uh, Chris, for joining us and for sharing with us. And next time I'm out in Hawaii, man, you'll get to coach me on waves, not just in my brain. How about that? Sounds good. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And thanks for tuning in to Electric People. Take care. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.